0: The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from The Star in Sheffield. Welcome to The Star Blades, where we're reeling from the battle of the unlikely European hopefuls that failed to deliver a winner. I'm Liam Horden, and joining me first is The Star's long-serving Blades writer, James Shield. How are things, James? All good, all good, and you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad at all. And completing our United writing duo, Danny Hall. How are things, Danny?
1: Not bad, mate, not bad, apart from the lockdown hair that's uh, finally getting chopped off tomorrow, but apart from that, all good.
0: I bet you've been itching since Saturday to get to that barbers, haven't you?
1: Just a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, forget the pubs, that was the most important thing for me, forget the boozers, it was all about the haircut. (laughs) Just
0: to let you know, we are recording on a video conference insight. so apologies for any audio issues that you may encounter along the way. Let's talk about it then, that one all draw against Burnley. Danny, I'll come to you first. What did you make of United's performance on uh, on Sunday?
1: Um, I might be in the minority. I thought it was actually quite a decent game, uh, especially in the first half. I think there was a, a graphic flashed up on Sky midway through the first half that said there was one shot on target throughout the entire game, and it didn't to me. It didn't seem like that kind of game at all. You know, there was might have been low on actual, you know, shots on target or whatever. But in terms of you know, they seem plenty, plenty going on. Uh, for some better finishing from, from Burnley, you know, the score could have been very different. Uh, I think it was just two teams who go back, things the right way, uh, slugging it out, really. Uh, you know, you can see both teams and both managers have a lot of respect for each other. Uh, and I just thought it was a decent, decent opening half hour or so. It was a bit sluggish early in the second half, I think. Um, you know, the goal, terrible time to concede. Uh, But once again, I think United deserve a lot of credit to come back uh, from that because you know Burnley don't concede many goals, I don't think, from from going ahead. Uh, And then, you know, to keep hammering the door down, as as you say, to uh, to get that equalizer and what an unbelievable finish it was as well when it came. You know, I I think when it held to John Egan, there were a lot of things he could have done. To make that easier for himself, rather than trying to open his body up and and smash it into the top corner. Uh, but to be fair to him, you know, I think I think I know me and James have had this discussion before about the best finishes at the club. Uh, I think John might have just put himself up there as a, an unlikely candidate after that. After that, so yeah, I think it was overall uh, decent, especially in those. James will know more than more than me, but those conditions as well didn't seem the best uh, to play in. To play. You know, actual proper, <laughs> proper football. So, yeah, overall, I think that's a, a decent a decent point for me.
0: Yeah, go on then, James. In terms of from in inside turf, more your view on things and, and the conditions as well that did that did certainly play a factor.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll uh, I'll i get onto those first. I mean, one of the one of the things that's happening at the moment in the uh, in the COVID nineteen uh, safety era is that we're we're getting kicked out of grounds pretty quickly. So it's becoming a a little bit of a custom now to see journalists sat in their cars in the in the car park of, of car parks of Premier League stadia finishing off their their reports. And yeah, I mean during the game it was it was really changeable weather it was quite strange really one minute the sun was shining uh the next minute it was it was bitterly cold and and blowing a gale and certainly sat in the car afterwards when the heavens opened i was for the first time i was actually pretty pleased that the gyms have been shut for the past couple of months because i needed that little bit of extra weight in the vehicle to to stop it from getting blown over and it, it really was that that bad uh but yeah performance wise Probably what you would expect so soon after a really tough game against Tottenham. I, I did think they looked a little bit leggy at times, but I'll, I'll agree with that finish. Absolutely superb. Do you know what, John? I apologise as well in my match report. I, I really didn't do it justice, uh, you know, having, having seen it again. Uh, you know, and Chris Wilder touched on this today, that he wants to see uh, Sheffield United's defenders getting between sort of eight to ten goals combined. During the course of a season, I think they're up to five now, and you know personally, I don't see that as a criticism. I see it as an encouragement, and it's something that I think is is eminently achievable, given the, given sort of the attacking football Sheffield United play, and given the uh, given their given their expertise at set pieces as well. And finishing ability like that from uh, from
0: John Egan should be nice. Yeah, there is no excuse now, is there? There's absolutely no excuse. <laughs> he set the standard. <laughs> We've touched on it in, in uh, earlier podcasts about the, the way that United looked a little bit sluggish in a, first, a few of those games and certainly towards the end of those first two or three games kind of petered out a little bit. They do seem to have got the verve back. Has anything been said about what's happened and, and in terms of turning the corner on that front in terms of United kind of having that reinvigoration? I know you said they're a little bit leggy yesterday but they do seem to have... Obviously, they've, they've pushed it right to the end to get that equalizing goal. Yeah, I.
2: I mean, personally, I. I know I've sort of touched on the fact that I thought they looked tired actually when they when they came back. Uh, so I don't know if there's been any sort of adjustment in terms of the training that they're doing. In fact, to be honest, they're probably doing very little training actually. I think most of it is is just recovery sessions at the moment. They're playing a game just you know I think it's about once every three point. Six days or, or or something like that, so it 's a really demanding schedule and you know I know we did a piece on this uh, just towards the end of the lockdown talking about how Sheffield United you know should be used to playing uh, a schedule like this, having come up out of the championship and you know, having had so many players who were with them in League One when the schedule was arguably even more demanding when you when you throw that wonderful invention, the AFL trophy, into the, into the mix. But, you know, in fairness, I know a couple of the people involved with the team have sort of made the point that uh, a, a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday schedule in the Championship, in terms of the effort and the emotional investment you have to put in, is pretty much on a par with Saturday to Saturday in the Premier League. You know, I think they made the point that athletically and in terms of the just the concentration you've got to put into games, Premier League football is a lot more demanding. I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that. But I think the other thing is they've probably just got used to the conditions. And because once again, I can't stress how strange it is being inside a ground where there are no fans. Uh, you know, it it. It sounds ridiculous, and it shouldn't be. It should be absolutely the opposite way. But even just working inside them, it can be quite difficult to to concentrate at times because you know it's it's just not what we're used to. And I think from the players' perspective, listen, I'm I'm not sort of you know shedding tears for them because they've got a great job, they're all well paid, and you know this is something that they're. That they're all equipped to deal with, but it will take some getting used to. Just daft things like travelling on three buses, having to get changed in a port cabin or a, or a media room, and then walking down, you know, ten flights of stairs to the showers and back again with a with a towel wrapped round you. It, it it is just it's not the norm. It it's not what they were used to. But I think there's signs that they they're getting pretty used to it now. Plus the fact, let's not forget they had three months here without competitive football and you can do as much preparation on the training ground as you want but nothing is the same as playing an actual game so you know we all see that at the start of the season it takes teams a little bit of a little bit of time to get sort of get their rhythm back and get their focus back and you know really start firing on all cylinders so You know, once again, I I don't know. Maybe I was being a little
0: bit too harsh, but I think they're probably just getting acclimatised now to things. Yeah. In terms of getting acclimatised and getting used to different things, I know Chris Wilder's been talking about sort of various rule changes today, specifically the substitute rule change. But, Danny, something I know you touched on yesterday the the drinks break and how impactful that is on on matches, not only just breaking up play, but what it can do to a
1: team's kind of momentum within a game. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know it was brought in for, for slightly different circumstances than a than a, a rainy, bustery, horrible July day at Perthmore. Um, yeah, I think Chris said today that he's never had as much Bovril as he had on the, on Sunday afternoon at, at, in Lancashire. But yeah, it just seems, again, like Chris said, it, it's just a, it's basically a timeout, isn't it? You know, it's, it's almost like watching basketball where, you know, it seems, you know, players, of course, will... Take on a few fluids, I'm sure, but you know, there's no way that you know, teams teams, and managers are not going to take the chance to to get into the players at half time. And it has borne out in terms of the you know, we've watched so many games since the restart where one team has been flying, uh, you know, the other team's hanging on, then that drinks break comes, and the amount of times that that shifted entirely the other way, uh, has been remarkable. And to be fair, you know, that's happened for Sheffield United. There's been games, I think it was at Man United away, I think it was when they were. Under the cosh, just before the drinks break, and they had their best spell afterwards. It might have been Manu. It might be a different game. I'm not sure, but they, you know, it has worked in their favour as well. So you know, it's not it's not all been been all one way. Uh, and you know, I'm sure Chris has took that opportunity to get into his players as much as any other manager has. Um, yeah, I think the one that really sticks in his in his craw is the uh, is the subs one. Uh, you know, in terms of the especially when you know United are so short-handed now that they can't actually name a full bench anyway. Uh, But even if they could, you know, in terms of some of the players that have been on the benches of of the bigger bigger clubs have been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, And, you know, having the opportunity to put a couple of them, a couple more of those into the game at any point um, has just made it, you know, slightly more imbalanced uh, in my view. Yeah, James, Chris has had plenty to say about that today, I understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a lovely
2: opportunity, I must say, to uh, discuss what the best garnish for a bovril is. Though Chris, uh, Chris seems to be a fan of black pepper, but one mm. of uh, one of our fellow journalists suggested Henderson's relish was uh, was actually the the perfect thing to uh, perfect accompaniment to a bovril. So, but anyway, that's uh, that's an aside. Might be something for everybody to uh, to try it at home. I don't know. Next, next week's uh, pod. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, well, we could, yeah, we could, we could possibly look at that, couldn't we? Yeah, <laughs> it's. But well, no, I, I I tell you what, these rule changes are, uh, and I'll, I'll include, you know, the the increase in the number of substitutes permitted and the drinks break. They're a complete and utter farce. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. It was it was absolutely ridiculous to change these and to introduce these measures. Effectively, three quarters of the way through a season, I think the competition has been affected enough. The dynamic of the whole tournament, if you like, has been affected enough by by the break in the in the fixture schedule, uh, you know. And we've seen key players for other clubs come back through it, you know, from from long term injuries. We saw a couple of those at Bramall Lane the other night, Hunsung Sung Min. Uh, and Harry Kane, who wouldn't have been available for the for the game had it taken place as scheduled at Bramall Lane. Of course, you know, Sheffield United won the match, so they won't be complaining too much about that. But I think there might have been a few issues raised had they lost. But it's no, it's it's just farcical to add an extra sort of layer of complexity to the whole thing. And to you know, if you play a board game at home, you don't suddenly change the rules halfway through, do you? You know, and I, I just think I, I, I do not understand the reasoning behind this. You know, I mean, people will say about the drinks break, oh, it's to stop players, you know, getting overly tired uh, because of the because of the changes to the fixture schedule because it is so congested. And you know, yeah, I get that, but. You know, as as was brought up during the pre-match press conference today, we we don't see this during World Cups, which are which are played in summer. So, why on earth somebody felt it was it was necessary to introduce into a you know a, a Premier League season being played in an English summer, which you know I know we've been blessed in the past couple of weeks, but let's be frank, they're they're, they're not usually sort of stiflingly hot or anything like that, are they? I I just don't understand. You know what I. I just think it was somebody being far too clever for their own good. And in terms of the, the increase of the number of substitutes, let's be honest, we, we all know who it suits, and it was the clubs who voted for it. It was the ones who can just name international after international after international in their squad, uh, or, you know, on, on their matchday rosters. So I think it's thoroughly unfair, and I can understand why managers like Chris Ryder, and he's not the only one, by the way, have got the ump about it. It's a jog.
0: Shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Something everyone was pleased to see, return of Jack O'Connell, Danny. Always a boost for the Blades, get somebody of uh, Jack's ability
1: back. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it seems quite strange, the amount of times that I wrote something about, you know, they miss him offensively, as well as defensively. You know, it still takes a little bit of getting your head around that we're talking about defenders here. Um, but, yeah, just in terms of the way that he for so much going both, both ways. And that's no slight at all on, on Jack Robinson, who, you know, I think, and a lot of people also think, has been excellent since he, he stepped in because that's not an easy role. You know, you, you don't just have overlapping left centre, left sided centre backs, you know, queuing up to go out and buy. But he's had to come in and kind of learn that role. Uh, as Jack's understood, you know, he's not had a lot of opportunities. Uh, suddenly, it's thrust in. In difficult circumstances, as we, as we said before, in terms of uh, you know starting the season again after three months out, uh, and he took to it very well. Um, I think he was a little bit hesitant early on in terms of getting forward, uh, but I think we've seen it every game he's played so far. I think he's been encouraged to get to get further forward. Uh, that humongous throw that he's discovered is also a, you know a good weapon. But yeah, as good as he's been you know, he's not Jack O'Connell. I think that's no disrespect to Jack whatsoever, to Jack Robinson, sorry, no. whatsoever. But, um, in terms of the way United's system's been moulded around Jack and Chris Basham and players of that of that kind, uh, you know, I don't think you can over- overstate how important it is to have him back. Um, just a big boost as well, I think, to, you know, the fans were delighted to see him come on. Uh, he didn't look too much like he'd been away. You know, there was a slightly dodgy moment a few minutes after he came on. Uh, but he quickly got over that. Uh, I think there was a few trademark overlapping runs down the left uh, and with, what is it, five games to go to have, you know, one of your, your two key injured players to come back. I don't think anyone could say that's not a, not a big boost.
0: Yeah, certainly. Another Jack, James, making a, a, an appearance. Jack Rodwell, what did you make of uh, of Jack and what what does his future hold at Sheffield United in terms of he's got a few games left to to kind of impress, but what do you get the impression is, is, is future? where his future kind of lies?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. First off, I thought he did okay. Uh, you know, so that that will go in his favour. I think the fact that he's decided to hang around uh, and see the season out of Sheffield United will also have gone in his favour behind the scenes. In terms of where his future lies... Uh, you know what? I, I I suspect that is going to be decided purely by finance. And Sheffield United, as we know, are sort of going through their budgets with a with a fine tooth comb at the moment because they've been affected by the uh, by the health sort of crisis and the the knock on financial effects that that's had. So I, I suspect it's something that that will be decided once that process has been has been completed. Uh. But there's things that have gone in his favour. And for the here and now, you know, I don't think Jack Rodwell did himself any harm whatsoever uh, the other day at Burnley. I thought he looked capable enough. He's clearly a player who has got Premier League quality uh, when, you, when you look at his career. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's played for England, for, for heaven's sake, you know. And it wasn't that long ago that he was one of the most exciting youngsters, you know, that we were talking about one of the most exciting English youngsters in the, in the game. But he's clearly just lost his way a little bit. And he'll be looking to sort of put himself back on the right path at Sheffield United. What, what I will say is whatever happens to Jack, uh, whether he stays at Sheffield United or whether he goes, I think he will leave Sheffield United, if indeed he does leave, in a much stronger position than when he arrived. And I think there'll be more clubs, if he does go, will be interested in signing him. Uh, than, than perhaps there were when he, when he first arrived at Sheffield United over the Christmas period for, you know, just to, to start sort of training with the club. So I thought he did well. In, in, in terms of the sort of just to touch on something that Jack Danny mentioned there about Jack Robinson and Jack O'Connell. And yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You know, as well as Jack Robinson's done, he's not Jack O'Connell in that system. And a fully fit Jack O'Connell will bring a lot more attack-wise to the table than Jack Robinson will. Uh, but that's, that's to be expected because, you know, Jack, Robin, uh, Jack O'Connell, sorry, didn't just suddenly learn how to play this system by accident. He's been doing it for years. And I think, you know, one of the big problems that Chris Wilder's got, and it's a nice problem to have, and it's a, it's a problem born out of success rather than failure, is the fact that, you know, because Chris Basham and Jack O'Connell have done so well, it's been very difficult to give anybody else who, you know, or any of their sort of potential deputies, any real game time. Uh, and it reminds me of the situation when, when Ched Evans was here and obviously had some off the field sort of issues of him, uh, uh, you know, that we, we all know what happened there. And there was a lot of sort of criticism at the time of the manager saying, well, you know, he's not given the other strikers an opportunity to, uh, to get themselves up to speed in real match situations. But you, you looked at that situation at the time, and Ched was scoring so many goals, you know, I mean, he only had to look at the net and the ball seemed to end up in the back of it that, that season. That How on earth were you going to give another player an opportunity? It was impossible to. I, I could just imagine. You know, Danny Wilson coming out and saying, well, actually, you know, we're we're going for promotion, but I've decided not to play Chad because, you know, something might happen to him and I need to get somebody else inside just to see how they go and get some minutes under the belt. It wasn't going to happen. People would have rightly criticised him for it at the time. And it's a similar situation that Chris has got now. But I think, you know, Jack Robinson who's come in and Jack Rodwell, who came in at Turf Moor on the other side. I think they've, uh, I don't think they've done themselves any harm whatsoever. Let me put it like that.
0: We're a bit pressed for time today, so we'll quickly look ahead to uh, to Wolves on uh, Wednesday night. Danny, what are you expecting from uh, from that game?
1: Well, I think he's got. <laughs> well, I expected a really good team to turn up at Bramall Lane. I mean, you know, it's difficult to kind of you know give justice to the job that you know Nuno's done there and how he's kind of transformed that. He's had a lot you know, going in his favour. Chris was at pains to kind of point that out earlier that when they were in the Championship, as good as they were, you know, they should have been with the players they had, you know, in terms of buying Neves and players like that. Um, But he also said, Chris, to be fair to him, you know, you've got to win the games, are not you? It's no good being, and Sheffield United know this better than possibly any other team, it's no good just being the, you know, the team that spends the most money or has the best players or has the supposed best players in the league and is, you know, Supposed to win the division, you've got to go out there and do it. And until Chris came in, United didn't do that. So he, I think he knows better than anyone else that there was a lot of other stuff that comes with, you know, that tag of favourites. Um, but yeah, you know, really enjoyed going to Molyneux early this season. It's always a, a really good atmosphere. Enjoyed watching Wolves play. Enjoyed watching United take the game to them. I think it was a decent decent game. Um, and yeah, not surprised at all that they are on the brink of. You know, the Champions League probably serves for at least a Europa League place. Uh, looking forward to seeing Adama Traore is a frightening player to play against. I think, if I remember right, uh, Sheffield United players took turns to foul him last time, Molyneux, well, because there was no other way to stop him, basically. Um, because, you know, he's a freak of a of a player with the attributes he has. And they've got so much else about them as well, even going back to. So Connor Cody, a player that you know we know a lot about at the back. He's done well to kind of survive the the rise of the divisions, I think. And yeah, they're just a just a really good, really good unit. And as much as Chris from this morning was trying to paint a, a different picture, I think there is a lot of similarities between them as well. Obviously, the, the financial you know landscape is, is very different between the two teams, but there's also that kind of um, you know focus on fundamental aspects of the game, you know, the hard work and the desire to win the, to win the ball back. And then when they've got it, give it to Ruben Neves and watch him stick it in the top corner. So sounds a simple game when you put it like that, but, you know, they make it look, they make it look very easy when they're on, when they're on form. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of shape so for now United can look to combat their threats and then, you know, show their own as well.
0: We've obviously talked a lot about United and their uh, successors, James uh, over the years, but in terms of the fact that they are competing on the same level as, as Wolves' side, and uh, from what Danny said there, a fantastic Wolves' side at, at the minute, still says a lot about what United have, uh, have achieved this season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to go too far back in history, just a couple of years, To remember a game at Molineux not so long ago uh, where Sheffield United were beaten 3-0 and by their own admission, by the manager's own admission, they they didn't lay a glove on Wolves that night. And I think it's fair to say, other than a couple of decent periods in the game, they will have been quite pleased to get away with a 3-0 that night. Wolverhampton Wanderers that season were light years ahead of anything else in the Championship. It was the season they went up. Uh, I think they're quite right. They were quite rightly described today as a Premier League club who found themselves in the Championship that season. Sheffield United obviously came up a year later uh, in very different circumstances. I don't think the season that Walls went up, the uh, the points differential between them and second and third actually really. Reflected. I know they say the table doesn't lie. I think in that season it possibly did a little bit because I don't think it reflected quite how far they were ahead of every other team in that division. And the biggest tribute I can pay Sheffield United is the fact that since then, without the the luxury of having a a billionaire benefactor or anything like that, they will go into this game on, on Wednesday night just four points behind Wolves in the Premier League. So, you know, that just goes to show not just the progress they've made, but the speed of that progress. And I think when you look at it all in, yes, it is going to be a really tough game. But once again, you know, full credit to Sheffield United, because if you ask anyone at Wolves as well, they're going to be saying exactly the same. It's going to be a really tough game for Wolves also. So full credit to uh, to Sheffield United for for just, just the speed of that progress, I think it it really has been quite remarkable. That 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 for me is one of the sort of the most fascinating things going into this game is just how quickly they've managed to close the gap using things like just good recruitment, good coaching, and having good players around them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just quickly as we round off then, Danny, selection wise for Wednesday night, any any team news coming out of today's press conference?
1: Um, nothing too different from uh, from Sunday, really. Uh, obviously, John Fleck, uh, Luke Freeman, and John uh, John Lundstrom. Sorry, escaped me there for a second. Uh, are all out for a couple of weeks longer? Chris said. Uh, so largely, I think it'll be the the same, the same kind of squad. I was going to say the same eighteen, but obviously it's whatever it is, same thirty six or whatever you're allowed now in the Premier League. Um, the hundred and so two. Yeah, the same. The same squad. Uh, I think he said, he hinted earlier that there may be a few tired bodies after that, you know, that kind of punishing schedule recently. So maybe he'll think about, uh, you know, freshening things up a bit. But he is, you know, if you look at the bench, you know, he is limited in what he can really change. Um, you know, Sander has played really well in that Lundström position as it was, the right centre midfield. Uh, does he maybe you know, give all Norwood a rest. You know, you know there there is things he can do, but whether he will do that or he's just kind of trying to uh, bluff us a little bit, and he'll go again with the same team. Who knows? But yeah, whatever team he puts out there, I think they'll give it a good go. And I think it'll be an interesting, really interesting game on on Wednesday night.
0: I will. So see what happens. Uh, short and sweet. This one, we hope to reconvene later in the week for a bit more an in depth chat. Uh, looking back on the Wolves game and uh, looking ahead, also. But that is pretty much it for this episode of the Star Blades. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, we'll be bringing you pods twice weekly during this really busy period and then from there as well. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook page. And of course, head over. To the star.co.uk for the very best coverage of Sheffield United that is out there. And subscribe to the website while you're there. One pound for three months. I keep hammering home this offer. That's a fantastic offer. You've got these two fellas on here writing the best Sheffield United content that is out there. And we're asking for one pound for three months. No, no question about it that is an offer that you cannot turn down so make sure that you don't uh, but that's it for now thanks very much for joining us uh, take care and we'll speak to you again very very soon thanks a lot head over to thestar.co.uk for all the latest news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United follow us on Twitter at The Star Blade, or search for our dedicated United Facebook And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.